Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's pray. Father, we look at this text. Help us to understand it. Uh, Lord, for those that may be suffering in this room right now, Lord, having things going on in their life, give them a peace and a joy and a hope. Lord, work in them them for us who are going to suffer in the future, Lord, because you know all things. Help us to resonate with this text. Help us to develop a healthy view of this, of what this should look like in our lives, Lord, and just guide our eyes, guide our hearts, and guide our ears this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're going to talk about suffering, but specifically suffering with joy. So is the Christian life easy? Is it an easy thing? Is it all fun and games at all times? No, absolutely not. There's a common gospel out there, the prosperity gospel, that as long as you come to church, as long as you put money, especially if you put money in the offering plate, that's the whole point. As long as you do that, you come to church, you profess faith in Christ, everything will be great. Your life will be better. You will have material success. That's the focus, is material success. Is that the truth? No. That's a lie, and it's a very destructive lie, because then when things do go wrong, what do you do? Completely walk away. You leave, you disregard anything you ever had to do with God, and you walk away, and you're gone forever, because you had an unhealthy view of the gospel. You had an unhealthy view of suffering. You did not know what was in store for you because the person, whoever was giving that gospel, was not faithful to the Word of God. And that can be a problem. So we know in uh, just some verses for that, John 15, 18 through 21, I'll read that quick. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And also another one, 2 Timothy 3.12, says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It is a promise. It is a guarantee that as Christians we will suffer, that we will go through trials, we will have hard times. Now the goal this morning is not to just talk about persecution in third world countries like China or like the Middle East and make you feel bad for the blessings that you have here in America because you can gather here freely. That's not the point. That's not the goal. But the goal is not also to go so far on the other side to say, oh, well, we don't really have sufferings or everything's going to be great. The point is to have a correct view of suffering and have a joy in that. Now, myself personally, I haven't went through a lot of suffering in my life. I'm still young in school. I've had it pretty easy up to this point. I've gone through little things here and there. 
So I'm not giving this message from, from an experiential standpoint. But if every pastor could only preach what they've experienced, we would be in a lot of trouble. That's why it's the good thing that we have the Word of God and that it's complete and that it's sufficient. Not only is it completely true, we can't stop there. We can't only say, yes, the Bible's completely true and then stop. We need to, it's true and it's sufficient for everything. But there was a man in the Bible who did suffer greatly. His name was Paul. The Apostle Paul, he went through a lot in his life, in his walk with God and the different things that he went through. So my goal is to let him speak this morning through what he wrote. And Lord willing, you'll see his response to suffering and what he went through. And we know one of the common theologies of the time back then and still today is that if you suffered, you've done something wrong. We see that in the book of Job very clearly with his friends. We also see that with Paul when he was shipwrecked and he went to the island. Oops, sorry. But when he was on that island and he was bit by the snake and the indigenous people there, they said, oh, he survived the shipwreck, but God got him there. He must have been a terrible person. And then Paul shook off the snake and kept going. Then they started worshiping Paul, basically. They thought he was a god because he survived. But the common thing is we think, oh, something bad is happening to someone. They must have sin in their life which we know is not true, especially from the book of Job. So if you turn to Job quick. So Job chapter 1. So Job 1, 6-12 is the first time that Satan approaches God about Job specifically. So it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is you in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So Satan's whole argument here is that since Job has a hedge around him, that his, the work of his hands is blessed, his family's blessed, everything he has, he's a very wealthy man, much land, much cattle, a lot of kids, different things like that. That's the whole reason he's praising God. If that gets taken away, he'll curse God to his face. So God says, go for it. Job is yours. Just don't touch him physically. Okay, so what does Satan do? He goes, takes everything Job has, right? He loses his family. He loses everything. But how does Job respond? Okay, he says, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. I came into this world naked, and I'll leave this world naked. So the whole argument that Satan was making was because of the hedge. Now we here, we do have somewhat of a hedge around us. I think we've been very blessed in this church. 
I know I personally have been very blessed in the life I've been able to live in school and different things like that. So it's going to be, times are getting worse. And when you have a hedge around you, and if you're still being faithful to God, the enemy will attack. We will go through suffering. Satan wants us to curse God. He wants us to turn our back on the word of God, turn our back on the church, to turn our back on God and completely walk away, to be done with the faith. That's his purpose. That's his goal. That's what he's trying to do. So, Satan takes everything Job has. Job still praises God. Round one, Job. Satan zero. But that's not the end. Satan goes back and says, because he still has his health. Job is still perfectly healthy. That's why he still praises God. Because he's sitting here, okay, yeah, that's not a great time that I lost everything, but I'm not feeling any physical pain right now. So I'm still okay. So I'll still praise God because, you know, I'm still healthy. So God says, okay, take his health, just don't kill him. Satan goes, takes his health, and then the next 40 chapters of the book of Job happens. But Job, still in the end, he does get close to crossing some lines with the things he says. But he was still faithful. He never completely walked away. He never cursed God. He just questioned. He said, why? Why is this happening? I'm blameless. God himself said there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. So God himself said that Job was blameless, upright. Does that mean he had no sin whatsoever? No, it's not what that means. Because all men are born into sin since Adam. But in the way he lived, his life was blameless. And yet he was still attacked. He still lost everything he had. Which is something we need to keep in mind. It's so easy to praise God when we have everything going good. It's so easy to have a joy. This morning in Sunday school, we were talking about uh, not loving the world. But yet God still blesses us and we enjoy those blessings and we give thanks for those blessings. When those are taken away, what's our response usually? It's usually not thankfulness. We usually don't have this just bursting joy in our suffering. And I think an issue that often happens is we talk about suffering up here and a lot of pastors and different things and nothing against them. And I myself have done this too, is you say, rejoice in your sufferings. We say, James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brethren. You're suffering, rejoice. Have joy, because that's what the Bible says. The Bible commands it. Cool, see you next Sunday. And that's the end of it. And you may be sitting there, why? I'm suffering, why should I have joy? What's the purpose? You tell me, okay, the Bible says it, but why? For what purpose? What happens for it? We cut it off right there. We say, the Bible says rejoice, so you better rejoice. And we often get caught in this cycle of duty, is what we call it. Where we're doing this because the Word of God says so. Because we're being obedient. And yes, you should be obedient to the Word of God. But there's more to it than that. And that's what I hope to try to get across. Hopefully, I want you to see this in the Scripture as we go through it. Not just because I say it, but because the Scripture says it. And this is what Paul's reaction was and what he says. Is to see why... We have a joy. So go back to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in two main texts this morning. Romans 5, 1 through 5, and in 2 Corinthians 12. So back in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The moment Paul is talking about right now is justification. Okay, the moment that God justified you, he made you right with God. 
Sins are paid for. You're at peace with God. That's the realm we're talking about. That's the context that's given right away in verse 1, saying we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have your faith in him apart from works, you are not an enemy with God anymore. That has been made right. Your relationship has been restored. Verse 2, through, who, through whom also, talking about Jesus, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Your first source of joy must come from your justification. It must come from your salvation. That's the first realm. The issue is, we often never move past that. We always just look back at the cross, which is a good thing to do, reminding yourself of the gospel, reminding yourself of your salvation. And that's what it's talking about. And you should have a joy in your salvation. It says, and you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And what's the purpose? The glory of God. That's a great thing. You should rejoice and have joy knowing that you're at peace with God, that you're not going to be eternally in hell, not simply because of the suffering, but simply because of the separation from God. That's the worst part about it. That should bring a great joy in our lives. But there's more. Look at verse 3. And not only that, there's a whole nother side, there's a whole nother realm of joy to be had. And it's all part of the same package. It's all part of salvation. It's all part of the Christian life. Your only joy in your Christian walk is not just because of the cross. Yes, it should come from the cross and you should have joy in that, but that's not it. There's more to it. If it was just about the cross, the New Testament would be four books long. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we'd end. We'd be done. What's the whole rest of the New Testament talking about? Why is there all this stuff about walk this way, walk that way? Do things like this. Don't do that. What's the purpose? Let's keep reading verse 3. But we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. So not only do we glory and have joy in the cross, we also rejoice, have joy, and glory in tribulations, in trials. Why? Because it produces perseverance, endurance. Okay, a continued and strengthened walk with God is what trials produce. But, going on, verse 4, and perseverance, character. Now, this word character is an interesting word. It has approved character would be a more literal translation of it. But it, has, it carries the idea of gold being refined. Okay, you heat up gold, it gets really hot, then you scrape off the impurities off the top, and you keep doing that process until it's pure. That's what this word is talking about, an approved character. So tribulation produces endurance, and that endurance leads to an approved character. Okay, sanctification. Becoming more like God, becoming more set apart to holiness. That's what sanctified means, to be set apart. Set apart unto what? Unto holiness. So tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Notice how before in verse 2 it says, Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice because we have hope. What do trials produce? What is this suffering? What's the point? Why should I rejoice in it? Because it's going to give you endurance, and that endurance is going to give you character. It's going to sanctify you. You're going to become more like Christ, and that's going to lead to a greater hope. That's going to lead to a greater joy. 
in you becoming more like Christ. Is it fun in the time? Absolutely not. But you can have two responses to it. One response can be blame God, walk away, question Him. The other response would be to looking to the Word of God and seeing what this is going to produce in your life. Seeing the greater joy that you're going to have when you're through that suffering, when God brings you through it, than you had before it. That's really, A lot of times that's where we see God work the most is typically in our sufferings. When we've gone through that and we look back at where God has brought us, what He brought us through in those times. Verse 5, Now hope does not disappoint. This hope that comes from suffering, it doesn't disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The hope we have comes from the cross, but that hope increases as we are sanctified more. As we become more like God, we have a better vision, a better sense of what that hope is. And we know it doesn't disappoint because we have the Holy Spirit, because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is our down payment for our inheritance, as it says in Ephesians 1. In this, this passage right here, uh, this is the, the promise of the new covenant being fulfilled. Uh, back in Ezekiel, the passage a lot of us know is where God says He will take out our heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh, but He will also put His Spirit within us and cause us to walk in His ways. We know that's referring to the new covenant. Okay, this, this salvation that we have. But notice it doesn't just start, I'm going to take your heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh. It doesn't stop at regeneration. What else does God say through that? I will place my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. We have that part of the spirit. We have this second realm that Paul is talking about here. When he says, and not only that, not only do we rejoice in our salvation, we rejoice in our tribulations. Why? Because it will produce a greater hope that we can have greater joy in. And Paul is all about this. Like they call Philippians the book of the book of joy, right? Notice all the times Paul says, I do this for your joy. I want you to have joy, so I'm here. Even when he says it's better to die as gain, okay, but to live as Christ. And he says, I can still spend time on this earth to give you joy. Paul wasn't just sitting there, you gotta do it because I said so, because I'm an apostle, or this is what the word of God says. He cared about them. He wanted them to have a greater joy in Christ. That was Paul's goal. He knew it would be better for him to die and be with Christ. He knew that. That's what he said, to die is gain. But he also stays. He says, I can still be here and I can give you greater joy. I can help you along that journey. And that was his purpose. That's why he stayed here, to help these people. He cared about the joy of each church that he was a part of when he was here. So that text in Philippians, as we're, as we're sanctified further, as we go through trials, as we know Christ more, okay, what's the price? What's the worth on knowing Christ? Well, Paul puts it out clean, pretty plainly here, Philippians 3, 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So if suffering, if this tribulation produces a greater approved character, a greater sanctification, knowing God in a deeper sense, 
Paul says in Philippians that everything on this planet is rubbish compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ. And we, take, we have great joy in the things of this life. In the things we have, maybe it's sports we play, activities, our job, things that God has blessed us in. We take joy in that. But all those things compared to the joy of knowing Christ is rubbish. How do we know Christ deeper? Through trials and tribulations. Do you see why Paul is also saying, yes, rejoice in the cross, take joy in that you're at peace with God, but not only that, glory in tribulations? Because he knows if you persevere through tribulations with God's grace, you will know him deeper and you will have a greater joy. That's why Paul always talks about this, about this suffering. That's why James says in James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brethren. When you, when you encounter trials and these different things. Because they've been through it. They know what it produces. They know the joy that they have now. Think of uh, Peter when they were preaching and they were persecuted and they leave the city rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. That joy they had leaving the city was different than the joy they had before. It was greater. What happened in between? They were beaten and released and charged not to talk about Christ because they were preaching. They suffered. And they left with a greater joy, leaping, running. They were happy. And it was because of that persecution that happened in the middle. That's an example of seeing that in play and work. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7 through 10. So we know this passage, we know it well, the thorn in the flesh that Paul has. And we don't know what that thorn was specifically. It just says a messenger of Satan. It was probably a person of some sort rather than a physical infirmity or physical illness. Because when it talks about it was a messenger, uh, in verse 7, a messenger of Satan. 90% of the time that word messenger is used in the Bible, which is 175 times. Uh, It's referring to angels typically, so it's probably a person, probably a demon of some sort, constantly pestering Paul is what he's going through. But right before chapter 12 and chapter 11, Paul goes through and lists everything that he went through up to this point. One thing in verse 24, chapter 11, verse 24, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. The Old Testament law, you could only whip them 40 times. If you did, you broke the law. Now, the Pharisees at this point were really big on keeping the law. They made this whole extra set of rules around the law just so that they wouldn't break the law. How many steps to take on the Sabbath? If a chicken laid an egg, you'd have to kill the chicken because the chicken did work on the Sabbath, but you could keep the egg. Lots of weird stuff that's not biblical. All to keep the law. So they would only whip people 39 times so that they wouldn't go over. Maybe they got really angry and they accidentally did that 40th time. Well, they're still safe then. They didn't break the law. So they set this limit at 39. Now these whips often had shells or rocks embedded in them, pieces of glass on the end. And this is 39 times. This would happen on your back and it's by people that hate you. So they're not just lightly whipping you. These are people that in every whip, they are giving it everything they have. If this happens to you once, your back is essentially done for. Probably take a few months to heal. And that's one time. 
This happened to Paul five times. Five. So he'd heal. Maybe he didn't even have the time to heal before he was whipped again. And then again. And then again. And then again. Over and over. That's just one of the things listed here that Paul went through. The things he suffered. And here in chapter 12, in 7 through 10, we're going to see his response to suffering. Now above that, Okay, the first part of chapter 12, 1 through 6, is talking about a vision. Paul was probably brought up to heaven in some way, shape, or form, had this vision, which gives us the context for, chapter, for verse 7 here. So 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. So... For Paul to not become prideful, to not exalt himself above measure because he has had many revelations, many visions from God, he is given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted among, or above measure. So lest he become prideful, he had this thorn in the flesh. And that's including all the suffering and whippings and different things he went through also. So concerning this, concerning the thorn in the flesh, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And this is something we often do. We often, when we're suffering, we ask God to take it away because it's uncomfortable. We don't like it. We don't want it anymore. Paul did the same thing. He had a thorn in the flesh. He said, why? He was asking God to take it away from him. Three separate occasions. Paul asked God to take this thorn away from him. He's already dealing with all this other stuff. He's being beaten. Maybe his back is still raw at this point. And now he has an extra thorn in the flesh, an extra thing constantly pestering him. He's probably wondering, am I not faithful enough? Maybe he's questioning himself. Have I not been faithful enough? Even with all this suffering, am I not being faithful that I have something more? So he asked God to take it away. Verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. We know this verse, we know it well, but still we say, forget your grace, forget your strength being made perfect. This is bothering me. I'm uncomfortable. Take it away. I don't like it anymore. I don't care. I just want this to be gone. That is one response that we can have the suffering, that we can have the trials, is say, I don't care about your self-exalting grace. Jesus, don't care right now. I'm uncomfortable. Take it away. I don't want to deal with this. That's the wrong response to have. But that is a response you can have to suffering. And I'm sure we've all had that response at times. Where we say, we just don't care. We want to get through this. Why am I here? Why am I dealing with this? Why me? How does Paul respond? Keep in mind everything that he suffered in 1 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11 that he lays out for us. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul hears this from, from God. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength, God's strength is made perfect in weakness, in your weakness. And Paul says, boy, if me going through these trials means that God's strength is being made perfect, that God is being glorified because he's still working through me, 
most gladly. He doesn't just say, okay, Lord, you're being glorified. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to force myself to do it. I'm going to be obedient because the Bible says so. It's not what he says. He says, therefore, most gladly, with joy, I will go through anything you put me through. I will boast in my infirmities. I would rather be weak than strong, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul gets the point here. He gets the point that while I'm suffering, as I'm at my lowest, that's when God is the most glorified in me. And I will boast in that, and I will rejoice in it, and boy, will I do it most gladly. Then he goes on in verse 10 also. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul has a right focus. He has the glory of God on his mind and Christ being exalted. And when Christ is being exalted, Paul is joyful and he is happy. And if that means he has to suffer, then he'll do it happily. Because he, know, he knows that Christ is being glorified through it. He knows that he is being magnified. Pastor Brian talks about this when we're going through judges, right? Who are the people that God usually uses? Think of Ehud. Either was paralyzed in his one arm or couldn't use it or maybe it wasn't even there. Who knows? Gideon, the least, the worst tribe, and then even the least of that, and then the least of his family and all of his other brothers, right? Why does God typically use people that are weak and broken? Why did he take Gideon's army, which was already four to one odds, like Pastor Brian said, and whittle it down to 300, and then say, and your weapon is going to be a torch in a pot, Yay. Right? It doesn't make sense. But why? Because then there's no doubt, no doubt, that it was God's doing, that it was His work, that He will be glorified through it. So that the other nations around couldn't say, well, I know they're worshiping this God, but you know, Gideon's army was pretty big. So, it's whatever. And so he could be glorified through it. And Paul, he understands that. So 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So we have light and heavy. Light and weight. Okay, think of physical weights here. For our light affliction, this is Paul talking. Remember his affliction. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight and glory. Paul is not only having a joy in his sufferings because he's gaining a deeper knowledge of Christ through the suffering. He's not only rejoicing in his sufferings because he knows Christ is being magnified, but he also knows for this light affliction in this moment will have an eternal weight and glory. The rewards in heaven. He really has four sources of joy. His salvation, the cross. Persecutions, because he knows Christ deeper, has a deeper knowledge of Christ, a greater hope. Christ is magnified, and when Christ is honored, Paul's pretty happy about that. And then looking forward to eternity and to the riches in heaven. 
And we often cut that off at the cross. And we just say, rejoice because you're saved. Which you should. But we don't include those other three very often. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to us in all of his writings. There's a whole other realm of joy in doing the things that God wants us to do. In obeying his word. And in knowing him in a deeper sense, which often happens through persecution. So back to 2 Corinthians 12. He ends that in verse 10 there. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He is strong when he's weak because he has God's grace and God's strength. The weaker you are, the more of God's grace you need to get through every moment of every day. Especially when times are not going well. The more you need God's grace. And when, one of, when my first grandpa was passing away earlier this year, um, that was my dad's dad. My dad, he's a logger. He started working for his dad, which was my grandpa, when he was 14, and has worked and still is working up to this day. So they've always been close and together for his entire life. That's all he's really known is his dad and being with him and working with him and working for him. So when he passed, that was very difficult for my dad. But seeing the, the focus and the purpose that was on my dad's mind, especially when it came to planning the funeral, even though it was hard for him, but he was adamant that every song that was sung is going to glorify God, and it's going to be a solid song. It's going to be a solid hymn, and boy, is it going to be biblical. And the message is going to be a clear gospel message that is focused on Christ alone, salvation through faith, and that they would see his dad, my grandpa, Harold's faith, a slideshow of his baptism to when he made that outward sign and the just preaching the gospel. That was going to be the focus. And seeing that in my dad, even in the midst of his brokenness and heart, and then right out, two weeks after that when my other grandpa's passed away, my mom's stepdad, so my my mom wasn't even there in the house for most of the time. So my dad had to do a lot of his grieving alone without his wife, which is hard too. But seeing through all of that, just his focus and that God is going to be glorified through this was an encouragement to me to see that. And even him now, after he's gone through that, he's, 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 he's grown up a lot through that. I've seen the difference in his life and in his spiritual walk from going through that. My dad and my mom, both of them. So I've seen this at work. I haven't went through it to that extent in my own life. I'm sure I will at some point because the Bible says I will endure persecutions. I know things are going to get harder. But I've seen that at work. And the last example of this for this morning, go to Hebrews chapter 12. Paul's a great example, but an even better example is Christ himself. Because he's the one, God himself, who came, became flesh, and he lived the life. He went through a lot when he became a man. So Hebrews 12, we know this verse well. Let's look at, 
I'll read one and two. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the race that's set before us, this Christian walk that we have, let us run it with endurance. All of Hebrews 11, the people that did it before us, they have lived the life, their life is an example, it's a witness on how to live. And boy, did they suffer persecution. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Not just the start of our faith, not just the justification, but also the finisher, the entire thing. Christ perfects. Not only did he save us, but he also gave us his spirit. And he's also working in us. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The worst part of the cross was not the nails. It was not the beating beforehand. Okay, it was not the thorn, the thorns and the crown that was stuck on his head. The worst part of the cross was becoming sin for us. That was the worst part. And he endured that for what purpose? Yes, to accomplish God's plan, but who for the joy that was set before him. He went through that looking to the joy, knowing the joy that he would have being back at the right hand of his Father in his rightful place on the throne in heaven. That was a motivator for him in his flesh. He was looking and waiting for that day when he'd be back with his Father. Jesus had that joy through suffering. He had that focus of joy, knowing what would come from it. The salvation of many souls. People that want to be with Christ, that will be with him, worshiping him for eternity. But so did Paul. With everything he went through, he was still able to say, I will most gladly boast in my infirmities. I will take pleasure in all these different things that happened to me. So if you're in a place where maybe you're not suffering much right now, great, praise the Lord. Have joy in the blessings that God gives you. If you're in a place of suffering, have joy knowing that through this, with the right attitude and focus, you will know God on a deeper level than you knew Him before. And for those of you who have went through that, you know that. You know where that suffering has brought you in your life. Respond in the right way. There's a great joy to be had during suffering and especially afterwards. There's a whole other realm Yes, focus on the cross, but take that power of the cross. Don't just look back to it. Take the power of the cross and go forward with it. Go forward with the power, not backwards, in your life and through all these things. And there's a lot of joy to be had. It's not just dull obedience to the Word of God. Should you still obey the Word of God regardless? Yes, I will say that because the Bible says that. But there's also a great joy in obeying Christ, in sanctification, in becoming holier. There's a joy in that and in the midst of sufferings. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we're thankful for your sacrifice on the cross, for what you suffered. Lord, for the joy set before you. We're thankful for the trials as hard as it is to thank you in those times. 
Lord, but we know what it produces. We know what it produces endurance and character and a greater hope that we can rejoice in. Lord, so I pray for those that are suffering in ways that I can never imagine now, even right here in this room, that, Lord, that you will give them a peace and a joy of knowing you deeper. Lord, for all things in this world are rubbish compared to you. Help us to have that mindset as we go forward from here. Lord, guide us and bless us this day and keep our focus on you and ultimately everything for the glory of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight evening,